You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of a lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Jim Wolfrey, and you're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is football coach Tanya Oxtaby. Tanya is an Australian soccer coach who is the current Bristol City Women Football Club manager in the English Women's Super League, as well as the under-19s England Women's Assistant Coach. As a player, Tanya captained Perth Glory in their first four seasons in the W League in Australia, where she was the first Indigenous captain in the league. She also played in England with the Doncaster Bells. Prior to being appointed as Bristol City coach, she had assistant positions with Perth Glory Women and the Australian Women's Under-20s team, as well as with Birmingham City. Tanya is a coach with a firm belief in the values of honesty and trust and how these can galvanise a team under a shared vision. She believes that in her words, as a coach, the trophies you win will fade, but the impact you have on people lasts a lifetime. She is also a strong believer in focusing on the attributes that set you apart within the team and making those your super strengths. And towards the end, she shares a quote which she heard from another great coach, Lisa Fallon. 
don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from. It's a great discussion with someone from the same state of Western Australia as I come from, and we hope you enjoy this as much as Paul and I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Tanya Oxterby, good morning and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Morning, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. You are heavily pregnant, so we're very happy to get some of your time before you're off to the hospital. Yeah, hopefully nothing happens in the next, you know, 40 minutes or so. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Tanya, really simple question to kick off. Where are you in the world and what have you been up to so far today? Yeah, in Bristol, breezy Bristol today, actually. The weather's not great. Yeah, in Bristol in the UK, haven't done too much this morning, trying to take it easy. Heavily is probably the correct word, pregnant, and off to the Conti Cup final tomorrow. So, just trying to relax because tomorrow will be quite a, a sort of big day, I suppose, in in the sense that I haven't really been out the house for a couple of weeks. So it'll be interesting to be around people again. Well, you're the first pregnant coach we have interviewed. So this should be interesting for both of us. <laughs> Tanya, you've had a great career. You're still so young and we'll, we'll get into the, the scope of your career as we go along, but you've already had exposure to some pretty good coaches. There's Lee Johnson and there's Jamie Harnwell. There's many others. But what is it you think the great coaches do differently? I think there's a couple of things. I think when you think about really good coaches, they, they I think, personally put people first. I think that's that's massive. And when we say that, they still have clear boundaries and they've got a clear vision about what they want for the group. But the individuals within that group, they're able to manage and get the best out of and help them to reach their potential because players are all very individual and very different. And it's really important, I think, that you treat them as such, especially in senior football. You just never know what is going on behind the scenes and the best coaches are able to to manage their players but keep a clear vision about, you know, and boundaries within the, the group and what they're trying to achieve. And I think the second sort of thing is about the level of detail, whether that's in the in the planning, whether that's in the delivery, the, the level of detail and, and the ability to communicate that detail not only to the players, but to your staff so that your staff can help reinforce those messages. I think they're probably the two key things that I've noticed in terms of, in particular with Lee Johnson, he, his level of detail is just second to none. And anytime he gets asked a question, he's able to, to answer it because he's very clear about what it is that he's going after. And that obviously helps the staff and, and obviously in terms of players. Tanya, you are a qualified sports psychologist. Knowing what you know now, is this elite, elite coach in the UK? Yeah. What do you wish they would have taught you at university? I think one of the things that, for me, one of the key things that I, because I, I, a lot of sports psychs actually ask this question about how can we make things really relevant? How can we make, how can we really get buy-in from coaches around what we do? And my answer is always the same. Like, make it tangible. Make it something that is coach is able to understand and something a concept that they can then take into their environment and apply I think for me that's probably the key thing and I look back now and to be honest I, I was never I'm, I'm not the greatest in terms of academia I'm not I'm not the most intelligent but I always just was able to think about how it was relevant to a situation and then try and learn it that way I'd like to see that a little bit more I suppose and it's a it's a tough balance because you you've got to understand the concepts behind what's going on to then be able to to put it into practice. But I think it's that practice piece that's really important. If I could do my time again, I'd love to. I was really lucky. I was able to do placements while I was at university and that really helped me. So 
through the Indigenous Cadetship Programme. And, and I think without that, that really aided my learning. And without that, I probably wouldn't have been able to really understand the concepts as, as well as I, as I did. You may not be the most intelligent, <laughs> but you're definitely the most tenacious and visionary. And we'll, we'll get on a little bit later on to your journey from that small town in Western Australia through to the big league. But I'd like to just take a step back, actually, if we can, because your background, you know, you've worked with at-risk youth, you've worked in Indigenous communities, you've worked in development uh, youth squads, all the way as you've been pushing towards this head coach position. And I'd like to ask you, what is it you think is important that younger players develop before they reach that senior team? I think that's, that's just a great question. And I'd probably there's probably not one one sort of specific answer. One one of the components is around accountability and understanding themselves and how they learn. I think that's really important. I think one a really good example for me is I'm a visual learner, so I like to see things. And because I know that about myself, if I have staff members, for example, sort of talking to me about what's going on on the pitch because they see something that I don't, I'm like, don't don't talk to me. You need to show me, get the board out, <laughs> draw me a picture, whatever it is. And I think for kids that are coming through sort of, that are coming through an elite level and they want to be a professional footballer or they want to succeed, they have to understand their own learning style because that's really, really important because then they can communicate that. They don't get frustrated. They don't internalise it. They don't think it's about them. It's us as coaches, we need to understand how we can best reach their potential. And if they can give us a helping hand with that, say, actually, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying to me. Can you show me or can, we, can you demonstrate? Can you draw it on the board or, or whatever it might be? That's really, really useful. So there's that element of it. And there's also the accountability. I think that's, that's really important. I think in general about performance and about what can I do? I'm in control of my dream. I'm in control of my goals. I'm in control of certain elements and let go of the stuff that you can't control, but really take accountability for the stuff that you can. And I think as you sort of come up the ranks and as you get into senior football, that is something that is a coach's dream. And we want that. We want players that look at themselves first, think about what they can change, what they could have done better, what they did really well. And we're then looking to add to that because as coaches, we should be doing the same thing. We should be looking, I know when we don't perform well or we lose a game, first thing I do is think, oh, what did I do wrong there? Did I set us up right? Did I, did I get the opposition analysis wrong? Straight away, you should be looking at yourself first and then start to look outwardly. So I think for me, they're the two key things because they're so hard to teach as you get older. So as you're coming through that youth system, if you can start to practice those things, that, that will hold you in good stead. So Tanya, when you were younger, being coached by your dad, <laughs> out there in the back blocks of WA, yep. and they told you you'd never be good enough to play at the national level. Mm-hmm. In fact, they said you'd never be anywhere near good enough. Yep. You did play for Australia. Now you're coaching an England youth team and you're coaching over there in England at the Premier League. You must have tremendous self-belief to keep going. How do you help others develop that same level of self-belief? I think it's really tough because if people met me, they'd probably say, oh, she's really confident and she comes across like she really backs herself, knows her stuff and, or, or whatever it is that people say that I do hear a lot. And actually I'm the complete opposite of that. I think I'm so, I constantly doubt myself. I constantly 
worry if I'm good enough. I constantly think that I'm here because of luck, things like that. So I think it's whilst my journey's been amazing and I'm I'm so privileged to be where I am, I hope one day I can sort of think the way that you've just spoken there and think, well, actually that's because of all of the things that I've endured and the, the lessons I've learned, because at the moment it's kind of that like balancing act of, yeah, I've had to work hard, but some of it, maybe I don't deserve it. Maybe I, maybe it is a bit of luck. Maybe. So I, I guess to answer your question for me, it's about making sure that players and, and staff that I work with in particular staff, because I think it's really important that they understand that they're there because they're good enough and that they have a skill set and that they, whilst they're not perfect and there's areas that they need to develop just like players do, that they bring something to the table. And it's generally something that I don't have, which is exactly why they're in, in our staff group. Or when you're a player, you've, you've got attributes that are that set you apart and you need to make those your super strength. They need, you need to make those things your your go-to and not always focus on the things that you're not great at. There's an element of that 100%. Also focus on the things you're really good at and really embrace that and make that your go-to. For me, I like to think that my my player management is probably my my strength and the tactical side of things and the, the the delivery side of things and that's all the stuff that I'm still working on and it's a you I don't think you ever fully unless you're I don't know 65 and you've been in the Premier League for 30 years I'm not sure you've ever just got that I think it's something you constantly develop and learn for me my player management is something that I know that I'm good at and I think that probably is from my psychology background so I back myself in that area and then the other areas I some of it fake it till you make it like it just it, it is it, that's just the way it is and I think as you get more experience as you've been through more adversity and you know I think the last two years has taught me a lot in terms of sort of my my journey I think those things will start to come a little bit more naturally and I'll be a little bit more comfortable in my own skin but at the moment it's still very much like oh pinch myself can't believe I'm here well you are there (laughs) (laughs) actually 2018 you're appointed Bristol City head coach first year the team earns its most champion points ever and a sixth place and you also had the lowest player budget in the league what were the first things you did when you started with that team? Oh, yeah, I think I look back on that now and that is a story and a half. First thing I did was try and get players because we had none. <laughs> um, we had two players signed on and we were due to start pre-season uh, sort of, you know, four or five days. So had to push pre-season start date back, obviously, because you can't start with two players. That's just ridiculous. So push the start date back. This is a quite quite a funny story, but those that know me will know that this sums me right up. Was due to go on holiday, and thought, Do you know what, I'm still going. I, I'm I'm going to go, and I can do what I need to from there. So, boarding the plane, I'm on the phone to to players and and trying to sell the dream, if you like. And I'm like, I'll call you back in an hour. I'm just about to jump on the plane, you know, things like that. So, at that point, I just thought, you've got to embrace it. You've got to roll with it. Don't let it stress you out too much on holiday sat in the pool trying to recruit players and bring people in and using all all of your networks and all the people you trust to try and get as much information as you can and bring a group together that actually are grateful for an opportunity. And that I think is the probably the crux of why we did so well that season was because everybody that was there wanted to be there. It was a fantastic opportunity for them to use team and the club as a stepladder for their own showcase if you like but we had a clear vision and and a clear 
drive, which was to survive and stay in the league. And I think getting the, the staff on board was really important as well and being really clear about what it was that I was going after. And look, not everybody agrees with with the way that you go about things, but it's about being honest and respectful. And I've got staff that are still there with us now and staff that, that obviously just went, Do you know what, this isn't for me. And that's absolutely fine as well because we shook hands and, and they went off to different roles and things like that. And that's fine. That's football football's opinion so the way that I do things is obviously not going to be perfect for for everybody and they'll have a different opinion on that so so they were probably the first two things getting the buy-in from the players and the buy-in from the staff and then just having a really clear vision about what what it was that we were going after and how we were going to do that and again that comes back to those details I think previously Bristol had been quite a free-flowing score loads of goals concede loads of goals um, type team and I for me, it was around trying to get some confidence with the group and get confidence is really important to get their buy-in and, and keep their buy-in. So I think when we came out and we played our first couple of games and we were probably a little bit more structured and a little bit more, I, I don't like the word defensive, but if we, we were very much compact behind the ball and looked to counter and everybody sort of bought into that, I don't think teams expected it. I think they were a little bit sort of shocked and that element of surprise gave us the opportunity to pick up points probably where we we really didn't deserve to when you look at the likes of Chelsea and Man City that we drew with on paper and their resources. Yeah, it was it was a, a real ride that first season, that's for sure. Visionary is actually a term that comes up a lot when I was researching you. Uh, a lot of people use that word to describe your approach and your style. Before I ask you the question, I'd like to read back a quote I found uh, from you and you say, I'm very big on the welfare and management of players and making sure they're being challenged within a safe work environment, but also pushing them outside of their comfort zone. It's something that's a big part of my philosophy as a coach. And so I wanted to ask you, what are the core components of your coaching philosophy? I think for me, I coach based on my values. It's that simple. I think, like I've said before, the tactical awareness and the detail the technical detail that all comes and I think for me it's got to be about the player first so so I coach based on my values because if players buy into what we're trying to do as a group and I can help them individually I think I that's where I get my most satisfaction watching them develop but if We've got players that don't buy in and, and or they trample on those values. That's when I start, that's when I lose my rag. <laughs> so for me, it's really, really important that everything that I do comes back to those core values of, of trust, of honesty. <sighs> Family is really, really important as well and having that balance. And I always say to the to the players, at the end of the day, you're a person first. And and I'll always respect that and I'll do everything I can to support that. And like I said previously, you never know what people are going through behind the scenes. But at the same time, I'm going to be honest with you and there's going to be things that I say that you're not going to like, and but you will respect them because at the end of the day, we're all working towards the same thing. So I think the players appreciate that. They know where that boundary is. So if, for example, a player doesn't come in on a particular day because something's gone on at home or they need to go, someone's ill or something like that, it's not my job to to tell the whole group about that. But if someone's not in and I say, oh, they're not in because I've told them they can have the day off. Generally speaking, they know that there's something that's gone on because they've been in that position before and I've done the same thing for them. So for me, that that consistency, that real clear 
player first approach is how I go about things. And that then allows you to challenge when you need to challenge, which is really important because we're in a high performing environment and people are going to do things that are not always, not always roses, is it? That people don't always stick to those boundaries or you'll have players that push those boundaries, but you've got to be able to have the rapport to be able to challenge um, those players and and their actions. I think Ebony Salmon is a great example of that this season. She didn't start games. She's been with me for two years now. She's a great talent. I think when she first came to us, wasn't even she came on trial. Was I wasn't sure if we were going to pick her or not. We took a chance. Fair play to her because actually she could have gone anywhere she wanted, but she wanted WSL football. So she she came down on trial and the way that she's gone about things since that point has been up and down. And she's a young player, so she's going to She's going to have that. But we had words at the start of the season where I said, you know, these are the expectations and this is what I need from you for you to play. For her, that was quite hard to hear, I think, because she's very, very talented and we have a great relationship. So, again, it comes back to what I was saying there about making sure that it's player first. But actually, when push came to shove and I said, look, these are the things I need from you. And I'm telling you this because I care about you because your goals are to play for England, the, the national, the senior national team. And. I wouldn't be doing my job if I just let you cruise. They were tough conversations, but look at her now. She embraced that. She could have gone one or two ways. She embraced it. She knew that it was coming from a great place. And it's an absolute credit to her. She's done everything that the club's asked of her and uh, she's had her first senior call up. So that's probably a good example, I guess, of me thinking about the player first, thinking about what it is that we want for her and obviously for the group, because if she's playing well, she's scoring goals and we've got a chance of staying up. But also coming from a place where it's caring, I think that's really important because I I don't think I could have had that conversation with her if I didn't have that rapport. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Tanya, you've not only spoken about the importance of words and actions when it comes to players, but also I've been very interested in your whole view on body language, particularly as it pertains to the, the head coach on the sidelines. If someone wanted to improve their body language, if there's a coach listening or a leader, what are a couple of tips you would give them to make a better impact with their body language? Yeah, just be really aware of yourself, I think. You know, the classic one of when a coach is on the sideline and they're screaming, just relax, calm down. And you're thinking, well, your actions now aren't really sort of demonstrating what it is that you want from your playing group. But just be really really aware and be really deliberate with what it is that you do, I think. One of the things that I learned from myself is that I, if someone does trample a little bit on my values, because like I said, I'm a very values-led coach, 
I, I can flip very quickly. And I think it's about being aware that that's happening and having strategies in place. So for me, if I can feel that a player is pushing my buttons because of that, because they're not kind of the overall vision of what we're trying to do or, or there's, an, there's an issue there, for me, I'll walk away because I know if I stay in that situation that actually my reaction and the way that my, even if I'm saying one thing, my body or my face is saying a completely different thing and that's not, players are not silly. They see straight through it. So I could be saying, no, I'm not bothered, but actually I've got a scowl on my face and I look, I've got steam coming out my ears. And for me, it's about taking myself away from that situation, going back when I'm clear headed and I'm really got a really, really clear understanding about what it is that I want to go after. So what I'd say as a, that really helped me is just be really aware of what it is from your own point of view that does press your buttons and everything that you do should be sort of thought about and calculated and deliberate. And if you don't feel like you're in control to be able to do that, work out strategies that might be able to to buy you some time to, to be able to do that. I think that's really important. Another good example is obviously if, if we're not performing well and I know that I'm I know I'm gonna have to go in and raise my voice at half time, I'll always say to my captain, I'm coming in and I'm gonna go. So you let the girls know they need to sit down and they need to listen and then it so it's about, you know, everything's deliberate, everything's very purposeful and thought out and that's really difficult to do in a high performing environment unless you're very self-aware because sometimes you get swept up in in things and I'm just as bad normally it's the referees so (laughs) I'm not gonna lie but but yeah it's it's self-awareness and knowing what works for you I think and and really thinking about your your words and your actions matching up because players see through when they don't my players know when I'm nervous that like and I don't sit there and go, no, no, I'm fine. Cause that's a lie. That's <laughs> a lie. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I am nervous, but it's fine. We'll be good. Like we've got this, 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 and this. So it's about normalizing when there's a difference between what they see and what you're saying, normalizing that as well. And not trying to always sugarcoat over the top because they're very clever players. They see through things very quickly. I wanted to ask you a little bit about trust actually, because in your second season at Bristol, you had a slate of injuries And in talking about that season, you said, I'm not going to lie, it's been really tough, emotionally draining. I've learned a lot about myself and who I can trust. And it was the last piece of that sentence that really caught my eye. And I was interested not to talk (laughs) to hear about who you can and cannot trust, (laughs) but to actually just understand what you learned that year about trust and how it applies to leadership. I guess the easiest way for me to sort of put that in context is, you know, when you win games and things are, are great, the group's happy, staff are happy, like it's a great place to be. You've got people texting you left, right and centre. Everything's fantastic. That all dries up very, very quickly <laughs> when you're not winning games of football. And I think the media pressure, because we had such a great season in 2018, the media pressure was on as well and there was questions being asked. And it's difficult because you, you've got to keep – there's certain things that you can't say in the media about the context of why you're in that situation and to do with sort of budgets and, and things like that. There was such an influx in the 2019 season, so much investment from a number of clubs and then we, we stayed the same there or thereabouts. And that, that was difficult because we overachieved obviously in 2018, people worked us out and whilst other clubs that were kind of, Everton's a great example. They were obviously on the, they were second from bottom in 2018 and then they invested heavily for the next season. So straight away their 
they're in a catapulted up and we're kind of still where we are. So yeah, I guess for, for me, when I was talking about trust, it's about who's around when it's not great because people are all your friends when you are doing well and they all want a piece of that success and they all want to be a part of that. But actually when you, things are not going well and you need some support and you need people to who understand you and understand that you probably doubt yourself as well. When you need those people around, that's what I meant by trust because you can open up to them and say, look, I, I am struggling here. Like I, this is what I want to do, but I can't, I can't even get anywhere close to that because of these factors. And I can't change some of those factors because injuries and things like that, you can't, you don't have a magic wand and you're doing the best that you can. And it's really difficult. And yeah, it's, it's the, the trust pieces around those that are around when things are not going well, they, they love you anyway. They see you for who you are anyway, your strengths and your, your areas that you're not great at. And they support you through that. And I think that's really, really important. And even this season hasn't, the first part of this season, again, we were hit with loads of injuries and in the same position in terms of our sort of investment and COVID obviously really affected, I guess, our ability to provide an environment for the players because we were sort of working out of a, a makeshift area. And I know a lot of clubs were doing that, but from our perspective, it was probably even more so of a struggle and the one thing that I just kept thinking to myself was keep the group together because it will turn at some point at some point players will come back from injury at some point results will change and you need everybody together because and we need we need everybody believing that we can get out of this and I think that's probably one of the most positive things that's come out of obviously Matt's come in now and he's done a fantastic job and one of the things he keeps saying is this group's amazing I love working with them they're so positive. They're still so together with what, given everything that's gone on. And, and that for me is when we link that back to what am I about as a coach, I think that's probably one of the biggest compliments that he could give is that actually he's got the foundation to come in now and be able to do what he, he needs to do to help us survive. And he's one of those people that when things are not going well, he's, he's there. So that's what I mean by trust because it's a, uh, very fickle industry and uh, you learn quite quickly who who's on your side and, and actually who's just along for the ride, if that kind of makes sense. That does make sense. And for those listening, Matt has come in because Tanya is on maternity leave. I wanted to talk a little bit about performance anxiety. You're such a positive person. You radiate belief and resilience, but we all know that athletes struggle on the big stage on any stage actually and I've seen you speak online about performance anxiety and I'd just be really interested in hearing your thoughts and advice for other leaders on helping people deal with it yeah again again I think for me I I always try and just get the girls to focus on what they're good at so it's really important that when things aren't going well you go back to what you know and what you're comfortable with because we talk about stepping outside our comfort zone and that's obviously when we get little bit anxious and which is a good thing but when we step outside and things aren't going well <laughs> it's about sort of dipping a toe back in to to where you think actually I'm, I'm okay with this so for me you know whenever I can see a player is getting quite worked up or they're you can see that they're just the nerves have got the better of them and, and they're actually they're tipped too far on the curve where actually it's going to start to affect their performance in a in a negative way I get them to just come back and just say remember why you play. You play because you love it. You play because it's the sport that you adore. 
you play because your parents watch you. You play because it puts a smile on your face and you and you love playing with, try and be as specific as you can. Might be Sophie Bagley loves playing with Jazz Matthews or, you know, in our team or whatever it is. And remember what you're good at. If you get yourself in a, in a muddle, don't try and overcomplicate things. If we're talking about a centre-back, head the ball, clear your lines and track your runners. They're your three things. So just bringing it right back to basics and, and you can see then once they start to do those those things maybe two or three times in the first part of the game, then they can start to grow into it. And they just naturally kind of naturally take off, I suppose. But also on the other side of that, if for whatever reason a player's had a stinker and you know that they're they're quite down, I think it's really important. That's a really good time to to get them to go back to their goals. Every player in our group's got an individual development program. And within that is their goals and, and the things that they want to work on. There's three or four things that they want to work on in, in each area. There's also three or four things that they're very good at. And we just sit there and go through some film with them, go through the game. If there's nothing, if they're struggling to pick stuff out, there's always stuff that I can pick out and that's not a problem or stuff from previous games where they've done those things brilliantly well. And it's about, again, normalising the fact that they're not going to be perfect every game. There's nobody out there that plays every week and is a 10 out of 10, you're going to have those blips. You're going to have those times where actually you might just be a six out of 10 and that's okay because actually I'd be expecting the person next to you to step up and be playing their 10 out of 10 game for, for that period of time. So yeah, normalizing it, getting them to think about what they're really good at, not overcomplicating things because as athletes and as coaches, we get so in our own head, worry about so many things. Just go back to the basics of why do you play? Why do you enjoy it and do the things that you're good at? And the tide has to turn at some point, whether that's as a player, you know, individually, whether that's as a group, things change. And you just got to be confident in your own ability that you got there for a reason. And that if you keep doing the right things, that things will eventually turn in the right direction. Tanya, service is such a, a big part of your life. You've, you've worked, as I said earlier, you've worked with Indigenous Australians. You've helped others with mental health challenges. You're involved with the Paralympic sports but I would be interested to hear a story, if you, if you would be happy to share one, where someone else has helped you as a coach. I'm on a program at the moment where, through the FA, and, and it's to support female um, play, um, coaches working within the female game at the elite level. And we, we have a mentor each as part of that program. And it is one of the best things that I've ever been a part of, if I'm really honest. They pair us up. My mentor is not in football. She's been in the army. She's played elite sport for her country and been to Olympic Games. And so she she gets performance sport, but she's not from football at all. And she is probably one of the, the main reasons, I guess, for me that I got through that first period of this season because she's the person that you can be vulnerable to. She's the person that you can say, oh, I, I don't know what I'm, I don't know where to go next here. And she's able to bring me back and sort of say, well, hang on a second. You're one of the most clearly defined people that I know. This is what, you know, we've spoken about previously. Talk to me about why you're thinking that. Obviously being pregnant is very it's different and scary, especially in COVID and given all the changes at the club and, and the things that have gone on with the league and, and things like that. It's been a really tough, I'd say, nine months. And she's been fantastic at supporting me through that. And um, I think without her, I, yeah, I don't, I genuinely don't know where I would be because 
everybody needs that ability to be vulnerable and your family is always going to think you're great because that's their job. But when you have someone that's been there and done it in, in different industries, and obviously, like I said, she's been in the army, so she's been in a, a male orientated environment as well and knows the challenges that come with that and has really helped me to be able to, to deal with some of those barriers, if you like, because they are there. Everyone will say they're not, but they are. And she's been fantastic. So She's been one of the major influences, even though it's probably not been over a long period of time. She's come in right at the at the peak of when I've needed someone. And yeah, I just think she's changed the way I think. She's changed the way I believe in myself. And that's very, very difficult to do for someone that's, you know, 38 years of age. So 38, am I 30? I don't know, 38, 39. It's all blurred into one now. But yeah, she she's been fantastic and um like I said, came in right at the right time. And I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have her along the journey, to be honest. Tanya, if I could take you back to that small town of Wickham in WA and introduce you to that 12-year-old girl that's been coached by her dad, yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give her? I think uh, two things. One would be don't let anybody tell you you can't do anything. That would be the first, the first real key point. And the second point would be you can't please everybody. I think the first part of my coaching journey, I was trying to make everyone happy. I was trying to, I don't really know how else to put it, but I think I wanted to be liked. I think I wanted the players to like me. I think I wanted, I wanted to make sure they all had smiles on their faces. They were all in a great place, but actually was I doing them an injustice by not being able to challenge them and not being able to really kind of, step them outside their comfort zone and things like that so I think yeah don't try and please everybody you want to be respected you don't want to you don't need to be liked you need to be respected and I think that would be the one thing that I would really hammer home to myself is that there's a real difference between the two and it's probably been only in the last three four years that I've really realized there's a difference and gone about things a little bit differently but yeah, don't listen to people that put you down or that. I heard a quote, actually. I heard a really good quote uh, on Thursday, I think it was. <clears throat> I want to say it was from Lisa Fallon. And she said, don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from. And I thought that was really powerful because it's really important. Everybody everybody out there has an opinion and you need to, to find that balance, I suppose, of what you listen to and what you don't. Um, because Again, if I'd listened to some of the stuff that I was told when I was younger, I probably wouldn't be here. So, yeah, you've got to find that balance. Tanya, you've been very generous with your time, particularly for someone that could be in hospital in any minute. (laughs) (laughs) But I'd like to just finish with one question, if I could. You've said you can't be what you can't see. And here you are over in the WSL, paving the way for other people to come behind you. Hopefully other Australians, maybe Indigenous Australians from small communities as well, But in the distant, distant future, 30 years from now, when you are finished, potentially you're coaching your own son at that point. Living in Spain on a beach or something. (laughs) What do you want your legacy to be? That's a great question. I think I I always say I want to, wherever I go, I I just want to leave the environment in a better place than when I found it. So I would just like to, for me, I'd like to just be known as the, the person that, or the coach that helped helped as many players as I could I think I'm not I hate losing but I'm not about winning trophies that's and I know that's a really strange you know when I say that out loud people look at me really strangely and sort of go what what do you mean you just made a Conti Cup final what do you mean you know 
but for me, we, we did it the right way. We played the kids. We gave them loads of minutes, you know, because that's what we, for us, that's what the Conti Cup's about. And so the bonus is getting to the cup final. But actually, that was never the, the, the goal. The goal was around making sure we expose players and give them opportunities for minutes and, and help their development. And I'd, I'd like to think those players will always remember that. When I want to be remembered, I want players to think back and of their time that I've coached and whether that's one year, two years, five years, and think, do you know what? She really, she helped me be a better person and she helped me be the best version of myself at that particular time. I think for me, that's how I'd like to be remembered. And anything that comes along in terms of medals or, or league positions and, and things like that, well, that's that's a bonus for me. And look, maybe that view might change if <laughs> if I move environments or something like that. But at this point, that's that's definitely the most important thing for me. And again, I think it just comes back to those values that, that drive me as a coach that actually I'm, I'm more about the person and making sure that they, they look back on their time wherever they were with me and go, do you know what? Like she was hard, man. Like she, she really pushed me, but she cared about me as well. Um, and she did it for a reason. And I think that's probably one of the most memorable things, I guess, as a coach, because trophies, I think trophies, that fades a little bit but the impact or the imprint you have on people, I suppose, lasts a lifetime. So that's what I'd like to be remembered for when I'm sipping a mojito on the beach, watching the sunset. <laughs> Helping people be the best version of themselves. Yeah, spot on. What, wonderful way to finish. Tanya, thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely fun and a privilege chatting with you. Good luck to the team tomorrow and good luck for you whenever that baby decides to come out yeah let's hope it's not there but not both on the same day or that could be a disaster but uh yeah we'll see what happens but thanks for having me <laughs> the great coaches podcast hi everyone it's paul here and you have been listening to our discussion with tanya oxterby tanya struck me as a calm and deliberate coach who understands the importance of verbal and non-verbal communication when it comes to leading teams I also enjoyed her thoughts on reviewing your own match performance as the team coach in the same way you would in athletes, and the importance of mentors and the story she shared about her own who is in the army and has also been an Olympian. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Jim and I did. In our next episode, we will be speaking to the coach of the Romanian national football team, Mirel Radoi. You cannot be respected if you don't give respect from the others. First thing that they should know Whatever who is inside of one room, you have to go there and say hello. From there, we start to speaking about respect. Respect for me is not only that while our teacher or our parents learning. Respect is to respect your enemy. You cannot go inside of the game and to kick one of your opponent without the ball. You cannot go with the elbow. You cannot go to punch someone. It's also that in our philosophy, it's also about respect. It's also about respect. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has a unique story to share, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Mm -hmm.